Welcome to this week's episode of the Dirty Chai Podcast with me, your host, Chio. And here we discuss ideas, stories, and thoughts that all together lead to holistic, professional, and personal success. This week's episode is based on a thought that came to me possibly two years ago in the shower. And um, I remember thinking, somebody else must have thought of this. This must have clicked. And I would have wanted to think that I was having a unique moment of cleverness. But um, the more likely and realistic reason is that um, I was at an intersection where I had read Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth. I had read uh, Greg McEwan's uh, Essentialism. And I had also just gone through professional training via my, my employer that was centered around understanding the reticular activating system of the brain and how it filters information for our sanity and consequently, a huge subset of the information on which we make our daily decisions is not on in the conscious part of our brain. So we have a conscious part of our brain that makes active decisions daily, that processes things daily as we go through life. But the larger part of our brain is the unconscious bit where more decisions than we realize are made from a place of efficiency. You see, if you if your brain had to process everything that you see and hear on a daily basis, you would go crazy because you receive so much input from everywhere, from the wind on your skin to the color of the cars passing by to the various sounds coming from the various things happening all around you. There is not enough sanity in you or in me to process that amount of data. And how the brain has worked around that is whatever it works out quickly, it creates a shortcut and that information gets stored in the subconscious. Then when you receive data that fits any of that information that's already in your subconscious, it's processed without you even knowing it, right? When you see a green light, you don't have to think about it. What you need to do is already stored in your subconscious. When you hear um, a child crying and you don't have a child, what you do about it is already stored in in your subconscious. You are unlikely to even hear it. Whereas a newborn mother is operating, um, the mother of a newborn, who is also essentially a newborn mother, is operating from a place that is entirely different and their subconscious has filtered different information. The reticular activating system is then the filter between your subconscious and your conscious brain, allowing only what it considers uh, pertinent information for what you are doing through to your conscious brain for active processing. So there I am in the shower and all this information comes together in my head And my brilliant idea was, good God, 90s TV shows and fairy tales ruined me. Surely they did. And the more I thought about it, the more excited I got about this idea. And I thought, I need to talk about this with someone. I need to talk about this with someone. And so I reached out to the one friend with whom I would mentally spar from time to time. And I said, dude, I had this idea. 
And his response was, bro, I'm in the streets. I don't want to talk about hard things, <laughs> which was fair. And so I left it, but I couldn't let go of the idea. And when I started the podcast, I thought, this is something I have to explore and something I have to think about and a conversation that needs to be had because two years later, I've actually researched it and I've worked out that A, I wasn't the first person to have this idea. Two, in-depth research has been done on the impact of the things we watched. So fairy tales are just one. These are the things that we watched in the formative stages of our lives. But when you think about it, we receive a lot of input and a lot of guidance on how life is supposed to be from the things we watch and read when we are younger and in our formative years. So let's talk about fairy tales specifically because they make for an easier example to illustrate what I'm trying to say. And when you think about fairy tales, I would like you to think about them in the context of the information that I gave at the beginning of the podcast. You see, the reason we have these discussions is not to criticize the system for the sake of criticism. We want to use information to make us more self-aware. And when you are self-aware and aware in general, you have actually won half the battle to doing something about it. You see, if you don't understand it, you can't change it. So let's talk about understanding how what we have watched, what we continue to watch, and what we continue to input in our brain is impacting our perception of the world in general, what we get, what we expect to get, and what we accept. So, fairy tales. The fairy tales typified by Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey. This is something we know. Uh, the Hero's Journey is something we know from everything from Cinderella to um, Braveheart. The Hero's Journey is this. In that narratology or comparative mythology, the hero's journey is the common template of stories that involves a hero who goes on an adventure is victorious in a decisive crisis and returns home forever changed. There is a departure, there is an initiation, there is resistance, and there is some sort of divine intervention and help, and then eventually there is success, and then there is a return of a changed person. The hero's journey, as um, coined by Joseph Campbell, is wonderful, and is used as the template for most fairy tales. Here's where I think it has contributed negatively. There are many ways in which it has contributed positively. Maybe let me start there. Let's start by appreciating creativity. Let's appreciate the fact that it allows the it, it allows for the creation of things like Star Trek and Marvel um, Marvel movies. And DC Plus movies, which I don't like as much, but you know, it allows for actually everything from what's that movie about stolen cars that just keeps giving birth to itself? Fast and Furious. Every movie, every kung fu movie, every boxing movie, Creed, all of these movies are based on the same template. So that template of the hero's journey has given us people to root for, has given us the ability to hope, has given us creativity and art, and has given us immense pleasure and enjoyment over the last few decades. 
here's where I think that it may have unco- it may have sabotaged us on an unconscious level. The hero's journey looks like a young man who is typically wealthy, brave, and tall, setting out to go and achieve this thing of supernatural strength. Is it any surprise at all that we live in a generation that despises the ordinariness of daily success? Yet that is, truthfully speaking, what modern day success looks like. If you can have a happy life, if you can have an ordinary life that doesn't have strife, that doesn't have financial difficulty, that gives you peace and where all you have is enough. You have truly succeeded in the modern world. But in every hero's journey that we have ever watched, there is nothing but disdain for the ordinary. We seek and we pursue aggressively the extraordinary. And I can't help but wonder if some of that had something to do with the five people who went down in the Titan to look at the wreckage of the Titanic. Why would you pursue that kind of extraordinary at that price? Then there is also the idea that the male character that is going out on this journey is three or four dimensional at best, right? They are brave and they can only be brave. They are not allowed to not be brave. They're not allowed to, to be afraid. They are strong. They are wealthy. Remember, every fairy tale features a prince or a king. It is never an ordinary person falling in love with another ordinary person. The prince is brave, strong, wealthy, and handsome. Interestingly, he's also typically tall. <laughs> These are all the qualities that the prince is allowed to have. Then the only emotional range that that prince usually has is anger or generally being heroic, right? They don't have a range of emotions that they're permitted. If they fall in love with a woman, it is generally either as fuel for their bravery or as fuel for their anger. In Joseph Campbell's theory, he breaks down the hero's journey into 17 parts and a woman features only as a temptress. That is the only part, as a temptress on the way to the outcome. Shocker. Anyway, so now we've got men who are brave, strong, rich, handsome, and nothing else, right? They have no emotional range and they're very angry. If we take a look at the modern world, right now, those of us who grew up watching these things, a lot of us, although not enough, are in therapy to deal with those very things. I hesitate to speak on the journey of men as as though I have been in their shoes, but I can certainly speak as an observer of men. And I see how often um, The typical man struggles with expressing their emotions, struggles with having a range. I see often how women expect men to be brave in the face of danger. I don't know why they wouldn't be afraid either. I don't know why they wouldn't be allowed to be afraid either. And I'm not saying that um, 
they should hide with you or whatever it is. I'm just saying it, it could be an option. Who said that it's the man who must go and face the murderer, right? It's the journey of the hero that has taught, taught us that. Who has said that a man shouldn't cry? We are dealing with trying to change a script on men expressing emotion. That's not one-sided. It's not just men trying to figure out how to express emotions. It's women learning to do more than pay lip service to saying they want a man to be expressive. Because there are many times I've heard women say, oh, yeah, yeah, men should be more expressive, and then be completely shocked and utterly horrified when their own man cries or expresses emotion in that way. That is because our template, our subconscious says no. And remember the way the RAS works is your conscious brain can form a thought. It can say, I am brave and I am strong. But your subconscious knows what the truth is. And you can't trick your subconscious. And when you create a cognitive dissonance between your subconscious or what, it, your, what your subconscious believes and what your conscious brain is saying, all that happens is the system autocorrects and auto-adjusts. That cognitive dissonance resolves itself and usually it resolves itself in favor of what the subconscious believes. This is why you need to do authentic work in order to be able to authentically change because authentic work leads to a change of the subconscious thought, whereas superficial work results in poorly planted superficial affirmations that never really take root. Isn't it amazing how many of these self-development things have very, very strong religious connotations? A lot of these things could have come from the Bible. But anyway, then that's the one side of fairy tales which, which deals with the men. The other part of the, of the fairy tale, the second half of the fairy tale story, is the female character. The female character typically is stunning, absolutely beautiful. Is it any surprise then that if every story features a stunning woman and a gorgeous man who is tall, that is the measure of beauty that we use today? The woman is also fragile and helpless, right? Because she needs a brave man to protect her. The woman is soft, tends to be kind, preferably poor or abused, which creates a suitable scenario for a man to come and rescue her, and generally will then be bestowed upon um, wealth and a title when the right man rescues her. You see, growing up seeing that and hearing that and seeing that and hearing that in our formative years, I believe is a big part of the reason why women today have to do a lot of work to, first of all, overcome the tiara syndrome. And the tiara syndrome is pretty much that idea that someone is going to come and put a tiara on your head and then make your dreams come true. It manifests in that way in the, in the romantic sense, but it also presents itself in the workplace. In the workplace, it presents itself as women who work exceptionally hard, keep their head down, they over-prepare, they pass all the tests, they never put their hand up, they never say I'm doing great, they never say promote me, they never say hi, this is what I'm doing and I think this is what you should do for me because they are waiting for someone to come and say, oh darling, well done, here's a tiara for your head. The tiara syndrome 
I came across in Sheryl Sandberg's Lin In, but I know that she didn't come up with the concept initially. It, 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 it's, it's worth researching and hearing more about it and understanding more about it. Because once you understand it, again, awareness is half the battle. You'll understand that there's not a particular failing on your part that makes it hard for you to step up and ask for a promotion. There's not a a particular failing on your part that makes it difficult for you to step up and say, please, can I have a raise? There's a reason why those things make you anxious. Because your subconscious is saying this doesn't align with the template that we know. And if you want to change the template that you know, then you need to do genuine work. Put yourself in the presence of people who have gone and fetched the tiara, whether virtually or or in person by, by way of mentorship or by way of reading or by way of the Internet. That's what the Internet is for, to bring you closer from people who can check to, to bring you closer to people who can change your paradigm. Seek them out and change your paradigm. You see. Um, softness and kindness um, are great qualities, but they are poor qualities where they have no boundaries. You see, often the princess is portrayed as saving the world. Da, 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 da. She doesn't need to have any boundaries. She's not a leader. She's waiting for someone to come and lead her. The problem with all those things is those things are great now in the modern world, except that you need boundaries, right? And you never saw anyone or a female character enforcing those boundaries without the help of a man. There's also the fact that typically um, the female character is poor, thinks Cinderella, or abused, or somehow handicapped in some way, pending the arrival of her rescuer. This, for me, manifests in a lot of ways, but one of the ways I remember, or that stands out in memory is when I, I had just finished varsity. I think I was in my first year of, I was working, but it was my first year of employment. And we all went to visit a varsity mate's mother. And we were, we were chatting. So a mate and I were chatting and the aunties were chatting on the other side and we were talking about potentially buying houses. I didn't have two cents to buy, to, to rub together, but I had ambition. <laughs> And the aunties stopped what they were saying and they listened to us. And they said, are you guys talking about buying houses? And we said, yes. And she says, but you don't even have husbands. I mean, do you really want to intimidate your husbands, potential husbands away by buying houses? Don't do these things. Wait until you're with someone and then you can do these things together. And I think that is one of the manifestations of this hero's journey paradigm, right? That a girl is not meant to do anything. You're not meant to do anything concrete, massive, leader-like until you have someone to lead you. And the someone to lead you can only be the male prince slash partner who is rich and handsome and tall, who has come to rescue you. These are the same women that we the ones who have the script are the same women who we've put out in today's world and say you have equal rights use them and this is why so many girls are still saying yeah but no one's willing to mentor me or um yeah but but i i get into the room but i feel like i feel like people are pushing back on my authority because no one has said to us authority is yours to take right you have to exercise the leadership muscle you have to flex the leadership muscle 
in different ways and work out which style is yours. You have to figure it out. And here's the kicker. No one is coming to lead you in it and no one is coming to give you a tiara for doing it. You see how the prince doesn't get a tiara? You see how the prince doesn't get a pat on the back and told, well done, this is what he is supposed to do. The real trick to this to this thing is that you are now supposed to play the prince and the princess without anyone ever telling you that that's what's happened. And so we trip ourselves up with these unconscious scripts because we're trying to have one foot in the one script and the other foot in the newer script. And it's just not working because it's creating a cognitive dissonance. And the reason why it's producing different results in different people is the people who have done the work that has changed the script might experience the same struggle, but they come out still as leaders. And the people who haven't done the work to change the script experience the same struggle, but remain in uh, they do not grow as much. They remain bound by these subconscious um, um, chains. So <laughs> uh, while I'm here ruining your childhood, I just want to say that nothing's wrong with fairy tales. And I looked at a paper from India and they talked to over 20 schools and leaders of schools, and they discuss this concept of of um, the impact of fairy tales on children, and there are many positive traits to it. The positive traits are the ones that I mentioned in the opening, right? And this article, I'm just moving some things around so that I can grab my copy of the article. This article is so detailed and covers so many schools that it's worth noting that all of the things I'm saying are valid, but so are all the positive things about fairy tales. It's just that when children receive the script, they don't know how to distinguish between the reality of the world and what they are seeing on TV. And for most of us, there is no discussion later in life to say, oh, you know when you saw love portrayed as walking into the sunset with your prince, there's a part that comes after that called a marriage, and it's not so easy, right? In the marriage, this is what's expected of you and of the other person. Is it crazy to imagine that a person who has grown up on the script of being a prince and a rescuer would struggle very much to be with a woman who does not need to be rescued. I was listening to a another podcast earlier in the week. I've forgotten which one, and I really must credit it. But they referenced a book, um, a book about how ma uh, manhood has evolved or should be evolving, and how the currency of manhood has gone from money and being the prince and the rescuer to being able to be present emotionally supportive and available to partner. And those are the very opposite of the qualities that a lot of our men have grown up with. And when I say our men, I'm talking particularly in the Southern African context, but I have a sneaky suspicion that it applies across my own continent and a few others. And I, listened, I read um, an honest thesis by Nicole K. Breedlove from Ball State University in Indiana it was written in 1995. Nicole had this idea long before I had it. And she looks at Disney fairy tales, right? And she breaks them down. She covers 23 Disney fairy tales. 
and she shows what they typically portray of love and romance and relationships. In almost all of them, the male kisses the female first. In almost all of them, the male rescues the female. In almost all of them, the, <laughs> the, the male person makes the first move as far as romance is concerned. In almost all of them, the female sings of love and fantasizes about love. In almost all of them, a male praises beauty and the female um, expects a prince charming. <laughs> it's, it's almost laughable, actually. And this is everything from Robin Hood, Beauty and the Beast, Jungle Book, Little Mermaid, Lady and the Tramp, Snow White, Fox and the Hound, Lion King, Cinderella. I could go on. But what it does is when you, when you see these things laid out like this, also this is important, no one dies. No one dies in these things because life is not hard. And the romance, um, the romance culminates in people walking into the sunset or ha having a beautiful wedding. And take a look at what romance and marital culture has looked like over the last 20 years. We, the generation that grew up on this, these stories, have excelled at extravagant prince and princess-like weddings because that is the script that we are unconsciously following. And I say all of this as I do all things for the purpose of, of making you more aware. And once you are aware, right, you have taken the most gigantic of steps towards reshaping the way you look at the world and the way you approach it. As a guy, you might want to look at what do I bring to a relationship and is it still relevant? It's not a one-size-fits-all. So things are different and, and relevant in different ways to the partner that you're with, but you cannot apply a uniform script. Similarly, as a woman, you might want to look at how am I approaching the romance script? How am I approaching the professional script? Am I expecting a tiara? Am I expecting a prince charming in the workplace? Am I expecting a prince charming of romance um, in, the, in the real world? I quite I appreciated reading Jay Shetty's Eight Rules of Love recently. The book has, for an inexplicable reason, a cover that looks like a Valentine's card, which is very off-putting. But the content is extraordinary because it talks about how the portrayal of love and romance and relationships has ruined the concept of actual love. And I think the thought I would like to leave you with is whether you have ever paid attention to what script you're following, if you've paid attention to whether the challenges that you experience and the frustrations that you experience arise from the script that you're following, whether you've given some thought to mo uh, modifying the script that your, your subconscious is following and giving your reticular activating system enough um, information for it to understand that you are now trying to achieve a different thing. Therefore, it can start filtering information through to you differently, right? The reticular activating system is that thing that, that causes you to see something that's associated with you. An easy example is a car. If you go and buy a red Mazda, for example, as you're driving from that lot, driving that red Mazda, you will see red Mazdas everywhere. That is your reticular activating system at its most prominent action, right? What it is doing is it's recognizing that you are now part of a new tribe. 
a tribe of people who drive Mazdas and they're red and it's a CX-5. And so it goes around picking out all the members of your tribe and showing them to you because it considers that pertinent information for you now. That is how your RAS works. And it works that way with everything. It's such a mind-blowing concept. If you decide that you like flowers, it will point flowers out to you. If you decide that you genuinely only are looking for a Prince Charming who's tall and who's going to rescue you, you are only going to look for that. And you might not see other people who are attempting to give you what you're looking for but do not fit the script. If you decide that the, the only way you can get success is if someone puts a tiara on your head, it will only give you information that lends itself to what you're looking for, whether that information is frustrating or not, but that's the information that's available. It's not going to try and change your, your mind or try to tell you that this is a better option. That's not its job. Its job is to filter according to the level at which you think. <sighs> and on that note, <laughs> thank you for joining me this week. We have knocked a second episode on the head. I haven't quite worked out how to put my episodes on Spotify and all the other uh, typical podcast channels, but we'll get there eventually. If anything, if nothing, I, I learn, I figure out things as I go. But the key thing is to execute, to get started. And I've got started um, and I'm here now. Thank you very much to everybody who gave me positive feedback on last week's episode. I really, really appreciated it. And I would appreciate it just as much if you could share this podcast episode with at least one person. Thank you so much. And we'll chat again next week. Hopefully this has been just that little useful to you. <laughs> and has given you something to think about. Thank you so much and bye.